Hello, I'm Kathy. And I'm Gary. And this is Torah Talk. Welcome to Torah Talk, the intersection of the mundane and the miraculous. Here we have bold conversations about faith, culture, and politics, and where we fit into God's plans in the 21st century. If you could partner with God, would you? In 2002, I experienced the greatest paradigm shift I've ever experienced. It was a seismic shift that changed the trajectory of my entire life. So I want to tell you about it. In 2002, I was part of a dance team that got invited to dance at a conference in Washington, D.C. I'd only been on the dance team for about a year, a year and we had start, I had started to learn a little bit about Israel while I was on that team because the leader of the team who became my best friend was teaching us a little. Although I wasn't all that interested in Israel at the time, I was interested in dancing, so I stuck around. So we got an opportunity to go to D.C. to dance, and I was very excited because um, my girlfriends and I were going to be able to go to D.C., leave the kids at home, and, and get to dance in D.C. and tour D.C., we went up there, and as I, we were preparing to dance, I was sitting and listening in the conference. I don't even know if I remembered when I went that this conference was a Zionist conference, and I don't even know that I understood what a Zionist conference was, Gary. I just don't know if I God did. Knew. God knew. He, he had you where he wanted you. But I'm sitting there in my long white dress waiting to dance, and a gentleman stood up, and he was part of a project called the David Project, which I found out actually started in 2002. So this was right when it started. And what he was doing was he was telling the, the story of Israel, but he was doing it in slides and pictures. And in particular, I remember looking as he put a slide up which was the typical slide they show of Israel. It's very close up. It zeroes in on the, the nation itself with that kind of cutout that they label the, the West Bank, which we know is Judea and Samaria. And he goes, okay, this is the picture that you see of Israel every day. And this is the one where they say, okay, everybody, Israel needs to give up some of this land in order to bring peace, okay, with the Palestinians. So I'm looking at him, I'm going, okay, all right, that doesn't seem unreasonable. So the next slide he shows is he backs up, is a slide that's very much backed up, and it's looking at the entire landmass of the Middle East. And Israel is so tiny, you can't even see it. You can't hardly see it. He put, had it in a different color, like red. And I'm looking, I'm going, where is it? And that is what caused a paradigm shift in me where I all of a sudden realized that all of the world's concentration on, on Israel, all of its focus on Israel, it was a close-up view. What they needed was to back out and get the context of what was going on and realize that Israel was not Goliath, as they right. were saying. Okay, that was the name, the David Project. Israel was David. He, Israel was little David. That's right. And so it, it, was, it was a paradigm shift that... I literally knew when I was sitting there, I said, 
my life is going to change now. I'd never had an experience like that, but I knew that something was getting ready to change and that somehow my fate was going to be tied up with Israel's fate. But I, I didn't know how. I love the way God got your attention that way. You know, I've seen that map many times, and I believe it's like 22 Arab nations uh, with tiny little Israel in, in the midst of them. And it is it is mind-boggling that the world, I wish all the world could understand. Um, for number one, really, when it comes down to it, and we'll, we're going to talk about it today, this is not about land it really it, right. it goes much further than that but uh if it, if it were about the land only you know we have to ask the question whose land is it and, exactly and it's, and it's god's and but but it's clear that it's Yes, it's God's land, but we're not talking about, you know, when you see that little bitty Israel and the great big, all of the Arab mm -hmm. nations around it, it it was just, like I said, it was a life-changing experience. And, you know, my story is one about how the truth about Israel changed everything in my life. I I have kind of a before Israel part of my life and an after Israel, so a B.I. and an A.I. <laughs> kind of experience. It was as if God created a new thing in me or a, a new beginning. We all know that war broke out in Israel, that Israel's enemies attacked last week. But the war began in Israel on the holy day of new beginnings, the day known as Simhat Torah, we call it rejoicing with the Torah. That's the time when the Jewish people, they roll back their Torah scrolls back to the beginning and begin anew the cycle reading with Genesis through Deuteronomy that they do every year. The biblical name of this holiday is Shemini Atzeret, the eighth assembly. It's kind of a mysterious extra day tacked onto the seven day festive holiday, holiday of Sukkot. And in in, but what's interesting is in Hebrew thinking, eight is a number of new beginnings. Think about it. God saved eight people in the ark and used them to start a new world. Baby boys are circumcised on the eighth day as a sign of their new life in the family of Israel. When God instituted the Levitical priesthood, he caused, caused Aaron and his sons to be purified for seven days and then consecrated them on the eighth day as the new priesthood. Even a week is seven days long, so the next day can be called the first day, or it can be called the eighth day because it begins a new week. So it's a new beginning of a new week. And think about it. Yeshua rose on the first day, which was the eighth day, the day of new beginnings. Amen. So it's a, it is definitely a biblical pattern. What I want to know is, is it possible that the war that started in Israel is a start of something new in the world? I kind of think it is. I think we've entered into a time of moral clarity. The distinction between good and evil is crystal clear. God is separating the sheep from the goats, and each person on earth is now required to choose a team, to choose death or to choose life. No more fence sitting, no lukewarm. For those of us who have already chosen to stand with God and with Israel, We've entered a new time of spiritual clarity and a new time of spiritual responsibility. I believe that when we choose to follow God, we need to be armed with truth, both to shore up our own faith and to motivate and encourage others to come to truth, too. As real physical battles rage in Israel today, Gary and I are going to help you prepare for spiritual battle 
on behalf of Israel, God's chosen land and God's chosen people. We're going to provide you with some Israel basic training. Now, remember, my favorite verse in the Bible is my people are destroyed by lack of knowledge. I encourage you to learn this information that we're going to be talking about today and be ready at all times to stand in the gap on behalf of Israel and the Jewish people. Now is the time of new beginnings. Just like what I experienced back in 2002 at that Zionist conference, I pray that you will experience a radical shift to put you in alignment with God and his purposes for his people and his land of Israel. After this, let's talk about Israel and let's talk Torah. For over 25 years, Ezra International has been helping the poorest of the poor Jewish people escape poverty and persecution. In fact, almost 80,000 Jewish people have now returned to Israel with our help. The average cost to rescue one Jewish person is $360. Your gift of just $30 a month over one year can help return a Jewish person to Israel and restore their hope for a better future. Please go to EzraInternational.org and give your best gift today. Okay, so I started the podcast talking about going to a Zionist conference, mm-hmm. okay? And at the time, Gary, I don't think I really knew what Zionism was. I think your story is, is, is fun and uh, exciting <laughs> to think that how, how God used that situation to, to open your eyes. Yes, and, and there I was way. thinking I'm going for a whole different purpose. You know, God yeah. does that all the time. You yeah. know, like I'm thinking I'm going this way or moving here or doing something for this purpose. And God's like, no, I'm moving you around for my purposes. Yeah, it is quite amazing. I mean, my, I remember you know, telling my story and you know, told you that I had that a, a calling of what for what I'm doing today in a, on a trip to Washington D.C., but at that point I had already you know had this this revelation that we were part of Israel. You know, so it's similar but different. But right, right. But I didn't have that revelation. I yeah. so I didn't know what a Zionist was. So I want to start there, okay, for right. our audience. What is Zionism? It's it's really pretty simple. It's a belief that the Jews have basically three rights the right to a Jewish homeland in the land deeded to them by God in the Bible, Mm -hmm. the right to exist as an independent nation, and the right to defend themselves. Doesn't seem that they're asking that much, right? It's very reasonable for those of us who have reasonable minds. Exactly. You know, but what's rather ironic, in 1975, the United Nations adopted a resolution declaring Zionism is a form of racism and racial discrimination. Mm. So to to believe that the Jewish people have the right to a homeland and the right to depend, defend themselves is a form of racism. Quite amazing. It is quite amazing. I mean, I, you know, this is why I, I point out when we're, I'm in Jerusalem, I point up to the hill that's south of the city, and it's called the Hill of Evil Counsel. And that's where the U.N. building is. <laughs> Well, there you go. You know, the General Assembly of the U.N. has a built-in institutional anti-Israel bias. Since 1945, more resolutions have been passed condemning Israel than any other country in the world. And, Gary, think about that. That's including North Korea, Sudan, China, Iran. Uh, This is why it has to be a spiritual war, because it's just mind-boggling. 
You know, and that's why I've been praying every day. I've been praying Psalm 83. And for our audience, look up Psalm 83 and pray it over Israel, because I believe it's it's God's heart. And um, it, it's it's not a wimby pamby prayer. It's a prayer. Wimby-pamby. Yeah, it's no, a it's prayer. Not. No, it's no, not. It's, it's a, pretty serious, it's serious and hard prayer. punching. Yeah. Yes, it is. And that's what it should be. Yes. You know, because, you know, Kathy, we have to ask the question, why is there such an anti-Israel bias? I mean, Besides the obvious spiritual reasons, which we just pointed out, I mean, there are all sorts of misconceptions about Israel. And you mentioned one of them a moment ago. Israel is not Goliath. Israel is the David. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's just start with its little size. I mean, Mm -hmm. often we hear this comparison. It's like the size of New Jersey, you know, our, our little state of New Jersey. Think about where we live in Florida. Florida is 65,758 square miles. Israel is only 8,019 square miles. So you could put eight Israels into Florida. I mean, there's that number that eight. That gives again. you, a, there's a number eight. Wow, <laughs> yeah. okay. Eight Israels into Florida. Yeah, I mean, that can, can put some perspective to this. Yes, and I think that's really important. I think this is a good, simple thing that you and our audience can use to help people wrap their head around just this one basic concept. You don't even have to remember all the exact numbers if you're sharing, but think about it. You can put eight Israels in the the state of Florida, and if you're doing this in another state, just get the the, the square miles of your state, and you can do the same thing probably with your state. Texas, man, I'm sure there's a (laughs) lot. You could really I think about Alaska. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, you know, you can you can fly a fighter jet across the entire country in minutes. You know, yes. especially the width. Yes. In just a few minutes. Yes. You know, because Israel's landmass is only one sixth of one percent the landmass of the Middle East. Think about that. One sixth of one percent, and yet the world looks at him as this mighty Goliath. That's uh... you know, interestingly, God's original land deed for Israel is much much bigger. Check out Genesis 15, verse 18. It includes Egypt, Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, parts of Iraq, and Saudi Arabia. I mean, so God's idea of what Israel is is even much, much bigger than what it is today. It's only a portion. You know, there are also geographical or even what I call geopolitical misconceptions about Israel. So let's just look at, you know, people-wise. There are 450 million people in the Middle East. 200 million of them are Christians. Mm. 7 million are Jews. Thus, there are 423 million who are Muslim. Okay? So let's look at those numbers. Let's compare the 7 million that are Jews, all right, and 423 million who are Muslims. Once again, who's the David and who's the Goliath in this? Let's look at another stat. Let's look at countries by religious minority, a majority. There are 67 Roman Catholic countries, okay, just by religious majority, okay, not mm-hmm. that they're declared Roman Catholic right. you know, countries, all right? There's about 49 Islamic countries, 49 Protestant countries, 14 Eastern Orthodox, three Hindu, and guess what? One, one Jewish. One Jewish state. One Jewish. And, and I think this invasion, it, regardless of what somebody might think of it, well, why would you want to go there? This invasion, once again, emphasizes the reason why the Jewish people need a state of their own 
to be able to protect themselves. And yes, and defend themselves. And defend themselves. You know, da- God set it up that Israel would be David and not Goliath right. so that they would end up learning to depend on him just like David did, right? When he mm-hmm. fought Goliath. Mm-hmm. You know, in Deuteronomy 7, 7, it says, the Lord did not set his affection on you, Israel, and choose you because you were more numerous than other people for you are the fewest of all people. That's right. And and it reminds me of that story of, is it was it Gideon? Gideon. Yes. Yeah. Well, he starts off with a, a bunch of men, warriors, and then he keeps whittling it down yeah, and whittling yeah. I it down. It was like 32,000. And, and it goes down to like 300 and something. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, because God wants the glory. That's right. He, That's you, right. If you think you have too much, you know, in this case, if they were a mighty nation, they would believe that they were doing all these things on their own. But knowing that they are this small, it is God's hand of protection that has kept them. Amen. Think, think about it. All the mighty empires that have disappeared from history. I mean, they're in the graveyard somewhere of, 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 of you know, history, dustbin, whatever. But the Jewish people have survived for over 4,000 years now. And, of course, the only nation that uh, technically went away, didn't become a nation, and then was rebirthed as a nation. So we got something different going on here with Israel. Big time, (laughs) big time. And and they have kept themselves a people set apart, even even though many have not been faithful to their own, own Torah, um, they they're, they're still have kept separate. There's so many have held on to that that uh, set apartness, you know, that that holiness. We we call holy as and think of it as perfect. It's not perfect. It's set apart, and they are set apart for God. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the other um, misconceptions, Kathy, is that Israel is a bully, that it's an apartheid state. And I have known individuals over the years from South Africa who will testify that no, Israel is nowhere even close to being an apartheid state. Apartheid is an African word that means separation, and it describes a system of racial segregation and subjugation. And this was the of the African people, the non-white population of South Africa by white settlers. And it lasted between 1948 and 1994. But by contrast, 15% of Israeli citizens are Arabs. And they can work, they can vote, they can serve in the government, and they do. Mm-hmm. And on the Supreme Court, they're doctors, lawyers, Knesset members. Arab citizens have the same right as all citizens in Israel. Most people don't know they that, don't. Gary. They really don't. I, I, remember, I remember confronting, it was about, I don't know, maybe uh, five or six young women at a at a, a Christians United for Israel rally in Washington DC one year and they were wearing keffiyeh and they were standing they were just so disgusted by the idea that we would be there in support of Israel and i stopped because they st- they stopped me basically in the cafeteria and i stopped and i talked to them and i shared with them about the 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 um quality of life that Arabs had in Israel versus what they had in the Arab nations. And you should see some of the girls, their mouth dropped. They had never heard such things. And the, the one spokeswoman, I mean, she was getting so upset because she, <laughs> she knew I was getting through. But um, I told uh, Arab Israelis have repeatedly say they prefer being, in, being governed by Israel rather than the Palestinians. They're not stupid. They know what their life is like under Israeli government. Kathy, I don't know if you have, I know I have personally heard these individuals tell me this, quietly, of course. I have talked to Arab individuals, shopkeepers in Israel, in the the Muslim quarter, and friends of of, uh, people that we knew in our community, the community that we adopted, and they tell me, quietly, of course, 
we would much rather be uh, an Israeli citizen, Israeli right? citizen because our life is so much better. And, of course, then these radicals come along and spoil everything for them. Uh, you know, it's such a shame. So there is a, a group there that is lying, deceiving, and then that ends up hurting and causing so much chaos and, and, and because of all the lies and all of the deception. That's why it's important. And yeah, their own it's people. Im- and what's important then in our audience is that you know these truths yes. so that when you're confronted with them, you're not like, uh, 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 you know, mm-hmm. um, and you can respond to these truths. That's why it is so important that you know them. Confront the lies. Confront the lies, yes. yes. But you can only confront the lies with truth. You have to know the truth. So we hear about the poor Palestinians all the time. I want to look at the the name Palestine, okay? Mm -hmm. Let's do a little history. It's going to be relatively brief, and you can go in and get all the details of this on your own. 70 AD, Rome destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, okay? Many, many Jewish people scattered from there. In 167 Emperor Hadrian crushed a Jewish revolt in Israel. After he did that, he renamed Israel Palestine, which was a reference to Israel's arch enemies, the Philistines. And Kathy, I'll make a note for our our listeners that they might look that up and they might see this recorded as Philistia. But it's the same thing. It's yes. translated to English as Palestine. Palestine. Right. It's just a translation. It's just thing. a translation thing. But but they got, but the emperor wanted to eradicate the remembrance of Israel, so he na- tried to name it after his arch enemy. There are their arch enemies, mm-hmm. and renamed um, Jerusalem Elia Capitolina. That's right. Which didn't last either. No, God. that didn't last. Yeah. You know, so for for over two thousand years after the Roman conquest, no other state or unique national group developed in Palestine, okay? And no other group of people chose Jerusalem as its capital, like David had done, okay, many, many years before. Now, various empires came and colonized for a while, but disappeared. The term Palestine was associated with Jews and the Jewish homeland. So they had the Palestine Post, the Mm -hmm. Palestine Symphony Orchestra. All of these things were Jewish, that's right. And there was no question. That was just, that's just how it was. Okay. So Emperor Hadrian was pretty effective yeah. with that name change. Yes, okay. So, so even the Jews there, uh, you know, kept that Palestine, Palestine Symphony Orchestra and mm-hmm. so forth. So the Jews were the Palestinians until about the 1960s. That is absolutely correct. So I would, I would challenge, if you don't mind, you, those of you who write notes in your Bibles, Take your pens out, and I would cross right through the words that say Palestine. Palestine in the time of Christ. You put in there Israel or Judea and Samaria. But there was no such thing as Palestine at the time of Christ. There was no such there is no such state. There has never been the state of Palestine. It's still just a region now because of the of the uh, this misnomer, the British mandate that called this region Palestine. And, you know, we, we put it in our Bibles and it perpetuates the lie. It perpetuates. And again, that is a publishing error. And I'm not telling you that your Bibles have problems in the word of God. I'm telling you that's a publisher's choice to put that in there and perpetuate this lie. And guys like Yasser Arafat, Arafat took advantage of that. 
and said, come to Bethlehem and, and witness the birth of the Palestinian Jesus. You know, he knew, wow. he knew that Christians, you know, would, would fall for this. And unfortunately, they do. So let's look at some more of this modern history of, of Israel. From 1517 to 1917, th it, this region of the world was part of the Ottoman Empire. After the Ottoman Empire was defeated in World War I, its land was divided up by the Allies, carving out new nation states and creating the Middle East as we know it today. That includes Iraq, Syria, and Lebanon. The area known as Palestine, as I said a moment ago, was given to the British, the British government and was called the British Mandate. And it was officially recognized as a Jewish national homeland. Why? Because of something called the Balfour Declaration. That happened in 1917. It endorsed a Zionist, the Zionist aspirations to reestablish their homeland in, in what was then known as Palestine. In 1922, the League of Nations instructed uh, Britain to facilitate Jewish immigration and the settlement in that region of Palestine. So, so far, so good. It's part of a British mandate after World War One, right? That's correct. And, and, and what happened there is when they divided up this area, the French got some stuff and the British got some stuff, right? So it's the, right. the allies. I mean, I, I remember hearing stories of, of, you know, at the time, Winston Churchill was Secretary of State, I believe, of, of, of Britain. And, you know, sitting in a smoke-filled room, smoking a cigar, you know, carving up. The Middle East, you know, making nation states, you know, because uh, the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan, they, they did not join the Ottoman Empire in the fight against them in World War One, And so they were doing favors, you know, behind the scene favors. I mean, what's interesting, once again, those of us who live here in 1920, you know, the uh, 2020s, we think the, the Middle East has always looked like this. Right. But it's really not that old no. since it's looked like that. That's and they, true. they were creating nations right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, we're talking like 100 years ago. Exactly. You know, not that long ago. Happened. Right. You know, so in April 1920, when the religious holidays of Easter, Passover, and Nabi Musa all fell in the same week, thousands of Muslims convened at the Alaska Mosque as Jews were praying at the Western Wall. And the Muslims attacked the Jews in three hours of bloody rioting. See, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. When the British troops arrived, they arrested the instigators, but released them the next morning. And they resumed the rioting for three days, resulting in a number of deaths and hundreds of injuries. The British then restricted the Jewish immigration to Palestine. Thus, the Arab attack... And the Jew, the, the Arabs attack, and the Jews get punished. It's nothing, nothing. No, this the is the, the pattern. pattern stays this the pattern same has always stayed the same. So in night, so so what this is showing is even before Israel was reestablished as a nation, this Arab aggression existed before. They were actually given a nation. So that's a great point. That's a, it is important to realize that. So it wasn't like, oh, Israel has all of this land now. They don't even have it yet. Right. Okay. They don't really have it yet. The British still have it. Correct. Okay. They're now they're, they're saying, okay, maybe we're going to give this to Israel. But what we're going to see now as we move forward, eh, that didn't really happen that way. So in 1922, in response to Arab pressure, the British violated the mandate. Mm -hmm. They cut out 77% of the mandate lands and gave them to the Hashemites, okay? So this is what became Jordan. Right. So they took the British mandate that originally was for a Jewish national homeland, cut 77%, 
created Jordan, okay? Mm -hmm. In 1923, they violated the mandate again and gave the Golan Heights to France, which later became, that area became became part of Syria. It was part of that. The French right. got the area that was part of Syria. Right. So if you want a Palestinian state, there it was. It was created in, in exactly. Jordan. In Jordan. Yeah. That's the Palestinian state. That's exactly right. In August of 1929, Muslims killed 133 Jews and injured 399 in Jerusalem, Safed, and Jaffa. The centuries-old Jewish city of Hebron was destroyed, and 67 Jews were murdered. Now, I was doing some research on this, Gary, mm. and so what I found out was based on rumors that the Jews were going to seize control of the Temple mm. Mount, they did this. This is very similar to what's happening right now today in 2023. There's this this call to protect the Alaska Mosque. It's used over and over and over again. Over and over again, and it's a lie. Right now, that whole area there on the top of the Temple Mount is controlled by the Palestinians. Right. It's not even controlled by Israel. So I'm looking at this call to protect it. And I was like, protect it from what? Right. Right. And the same thing was happening here. So there's nothing new. So I'm doing some investigation on this before this for, for our podcast. And this is what I found out. The British authorities, now this is 1929, reported incidents of rape, torture, beheading of babies and mm. mutilation. Okay, so this isn't new either. Right. Okay, the British High Commissioner wrote at the time, I do not think that history records many worse horrors in the last few hundred years. Wow. It's, you know, it's a pattern, again, a pattern, a, a despicable pattern. Exactly. Of, of these Islamics. So once again, the Arabs blamed the Jews for moving back to their ancestral homeland and provoking them to violence. And once again, the British severely restricted Jewish immigration and purchase of lands. This all happened, folks, before Israel became a nation. That is so important to, it is, to keep it in is, mind. It is so important to keep in mind, Kathy. When you were talking about that, um, you know, the uh, Alaska Mosque being the excuse, um, you know, first of all, and I imagine we'll we'll talk about the Six Day War mm -hmm. a little bit, but Moshe Dayan gave gave back that Temple Mount after the Six Day War. They, right. They've been the the Muslim Waqf has been in control all this time. And I personally was in Israel in 1996 for the Feast of Tabernacles when, once again, riots broke out with the same excuse that, that, that somehow Israel was going to undermine the Alaska Mosque. You know why? Because they uncapped a tunnel, a tunnel that many of us have gone through. It's, they call it the Rabbi's Tunnel, and it just goes along the Western Wall, and it heads north away from the Alaska Mosque and was uncapped at the very north end. So it was such a lie that they were undermining the Alaska Mosque. But you know what? The Western media repeats the lie over and over and over again. They just they just hear what the Arabs say and they repeat it in the Western media. Because I know because I had people here at home telling me what they were reporting. And I was on the ground watching what hap was actually happening. It's always helpful yeah, yeah. to, to yeah, have the it witness. It's such <laughs> a lie. You know. All right, so let's, let's, let's continue with this history um, of this UN partition plan. The UN Partition Plan 181 in 1947 further divided the remaining so-called Palestine mandate between Arabs and Jews. In effect, the Jews got only 13% of the original mandate. But you know what? The Jews were so desperate for their own homeland, they accepted the offer. 
And once again, as they have ever since, the Arabs rejected it. Every peace plan that's ever been proposed, the Arabs reject. Why? Because they don't want peace. They want Israel destroyed. That's the truth. And the Hamas charter that is still in existence today calls for the destruction of all of Israel. All right, November 19, 1947, the UN voted uh, with a two-thirds majority to partition Palestine and create a Jewish and an Arab state with Jerusalem as an international zone. And Kathy, once again, interestingly, the Vatican forced Israel's hand to give up control of Jerusalem, saying that Catholic Latin nations would only support the partition only if the Jews said, let Jerusalem go. Wow. Now that's, I mean, to all, our, uh, if there's anyone Catholic out there listening, um, these, these are things that must not happen. And the, the, the Pope... And, and all Catholics everywhere need to understand what we're, what we're sharing here today. Israel declared, because of, because of this partition plan, Israel declared itself a state on May 14, 1948. Again, they were desperately, they wanted their own nation. Israel needed to be recognized by the U.S. in order for, to prove some legitimacy. And this, this is an amazing truth here. President Franklin Roosevelt was firmly anti-Zionist. In fact, you remember, he refused to bomb the tracks going into the death camps. Yes, that's during, right. During that's the time, right. during World War II. But he died in office only four weeks before Israel's declaration of statehood. And who was there to, to help them out? Harry Truman, who had, as, as you read the history of Harry Truman, he had read the Bible Three times through, by the time he was 13 years old, this man was was a, a believer, and he knew the moment. He knew the, the significance of the moment, and he boldly declared U.S. recognition of the new state of Israel 11 minutes after Israel declared its statehood. When he was later asked about how he helped Israel become a state, he looked at the reporter and said, helped, I'm Cyrus. I'm Cyrus. He said it twice. He recognized from the Bible the, the, the significance of a another ruler, a nation of another nation, uh, a ruler of another nation, and the significance of its reestablishment of Israel. That man knew his Bible. He knew his Bible. He compared himself and to God Cyrus put him in the right place at yeah. exactly the right time yeah. for that to happen. Yeah. Much oh, like much God like just he, working all the time, folks, on behalf of his people. He is. And and much like what he had had you in Washington, D.C. at the right time, because he knew that you'd be faithful to be an advocate for Israel. And and we're we are, we need to be advocates for Israel. All right, so so Israel declares its statehood. Uh, President Truman recognizes that statehood, and the next day, five Arab nations attack Israel. There it is. Now, the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem said this, the entire Jewish population in Palestine must be destroyed or driven into the sea. This, this goal hasn't changed, folks. And then he said, Allah has bestowed upon us the rare privilege of finishing what only Hitler began. Oh, that's so dis mm. despicable. Remember, this was right after World War II. Right this after was World War right, II. This, they, these people were still in their prison clothes, basically. Basically, yeah. Yes. And the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem met with Hitler. Yes. And there was a is Islamic uh, regimen that would fight uh, for for Hitler. So you've got people. We have to remember, you you're going to take a stand and take a side, and you can see how the Grand Mufti and the and the the Muslim nations today are aligning 
same same purpose that Hitler had. So please be be clear. This is moral a time for moral clarity. <laughs> be clear who you stand with. He said, "Let the jihad begin. Murder the Jews. Murder them all." The goal has not changed, folks. We so, need to believe them when they say these things. That's a great point. You know, they say these things, you know, to their their own people. They some some the ones that wear suits and try to pretend to be civilized will say one thing to an American audience and quite another to their Arab speaking audience. So we need to li- listen to what they're saying in Arabic and believe what they're saying. So at the end of 1948 war, Jordan had annexed Judea and Samaria. This is the biblical heartland, and it became known as the West Bank. Again, something that, mm-hmm. as, you, as our audience, I want to emphasize, correct the language. Stop using West Bank. West Bank was created by the, the Western media because there's, there's an East Bank to Jordan River and there's a West Bank. And they started using West Bank and it's stuck, but that is biblical Judea and Samaria. But Jordan illegally annexed it, and Egypt annexed the Gaza Strip after the 1948 war. So Jerusalem was divided between Jewish and Jordanian control. With the ceasefire borders, Israel only had nine miles wide. In in their their most vulnerable spot, it was only nine miles wide. Which is indefensible. It is. It was totally indefensible. Militarily indefensible. So it was only a matter of time before there would be another war. And there was. In 67, we have what's called the Six Days War. Israel preempted at that time a full-scale invasion and found out about it, preempted it, and in that effort, they captured Golan Heights, Sinai Peninsula, Gaza, and the West Bank. These areas became known as, to the world as occupied territories, Kind of like, Gary, how like the U.S. occupies Texas, right? I mean, is that what we're talking about? Because they defeated someone in a yes, war? Yes, exactly. You know, there's not one inch of land that is still in the hands of its original, you know, uh, people that, that were there anywhere in the world. Anywhere in the world except now Israel. Except for Israel. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Here's what's important to remember, folks. While Jordan controlled the West Bank, as they called it, right, and Egypt controlled Gaza, the Palestinians, quote, unquote, who the Palestinians now, which had kind of transferred to this, to the Arabs, they made no claims to these territories. They weren't, they didn't say, oh, this is Palestinian land, while it was not under the control of the Jews. It was only once the Jews got it back that that happened and they started to say, oh, no, these are Palestinian lands. In 1973, Syria and Egypt launched the Yom Kippur War and Israel defeated them. So then we start going to this series of land for peace deals. Mm-hmm. If Israel gives up some land, they'll, that'll help them buy some peace from their enemies. 1979, Israel gave the Sinai Peninsula back to Egypt at the Camp David Peace Accords. In 1994, Israel and Jordan signed a peace treaty. And in 2000, Camp David, this is interesting, Arafat rejected Israel's peace offer of a two-state solution. Remember, Mm two-state solution means Israel and Palestine living next to each other in the land that we know as Israel, okay? Two states in that land. Arafat, who was the, the Palestinian leader at the time, Yasser Arafat, rejected when he was offered 95% of what the world called the West Bank, 
we know it's Judea and Samaria, a hundred percent of Gaza and a capital in East Jerusalem. There it he is. got literally almost everything he wanted and rejected and it. rejected it. Going back to our original point that they don't want peace with Israel. No. They want to destroy. They Israel want Israel gone because that, that tipped his hand. Now, now the, the people who are trying to make peace with him were, were they were they were. Seriously, going to offer this? Thank God they didn't. They didn't get it. But they, I find that interesting. They, that that they, Israel did offer they that. Were serious. Okay. Yes, this they was, they, they was, offered. I think, it. think this was under Omar, if I remember yes, correctly. Yes, Ehud Omar. And 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 that's they were serious about giving it up. And Baruch, uh, the other one was uh, the other one who, who offered so much. Um, uh, oh yeah. yes, Ehud Sharon. Omar. No, 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 not Eros Sharon. He's the one to give up Gush Katif, which you're going yes, to talk about. Yes, exactly. But anyway, uh, Ehud Barach. Right. That, they, that, they do and, give and, up. And they Ehud, try to give it yeah, up. They try to they give try. it up. They yeah. try. You know, lots of times God stops them. Exactly. Right? Let's talk a little bit about 2005. Um, the area that we now know as Gaza at the time was called Gush Katif. It was settled in 1968 by the Jewish people who literally resurrected this, this whole area from the desert. Right. It was desert, sand. My, my best friend was there all around Gush Katif. Everything's desert. It's just sand. Mm -hmm. But at the time in 2005, the Jews had resurrected it. They had built all of those gorgeous greenhouses right. there. They were actually producing one-third of Israel's produce in these greenhouses. Amazing. Uh, it's stunning. When God's people are in God's land, mm -hmm. the land flourishes. It does. It does. They, they, were sending, they were sending produce and flowers to Europe. I mean, it was just amazing. They were sending tulips yeah. to, what is it, Denmark? Who's the tulip capital? Yeah, right. Is it, it Den? No, who's the tulip it? capital? I want to say Denmark, but I don't know. But they were making these tulips. Holland, Holland, Holland. Thank yes. you, Holland. Yeah. Right. They were were making were growing the tulips for Holland, and Holland's <laughs> known for tulips, That's right? Amazing. But in 2005, with world pressure, including from the U.S., mm -hmm. Israel forcibly ejected 8,000 Jewish citizens from their homes and gave the area to the Palestinians. I was there in 2005, Gary, mm -hmm. right after this happened. And, you know, here locally, we were having rallies on the streets right, against this. And and it did happen. So I was there at Sukkot right after it happened because it happened like in July, August. And um, we went to visit some of these citizens mm -hmm. who were living in the tent cities. So the, the nation of Israel took forcibly its own people out of their homes and out of their businesses in order to try once again to get peace with their their enemies and they so they forcibly removed them the new palestinians moved in they destroyed most of those greenhouses right very soon afterwards they elected hamas to be their governing authority Okay, so so and within a couple months, sixty five hundred rockets were launched from Gaza in the next four years. And since that time, we repeatedly get this Hamas stronghold, which we now know as Gaza, used to be Gush Katif that grew tulips. Okay, now is growing Hamas rockets right. and and continually, continually, continually. They are so super close. They're right there. 
um, you know, the rockets don't have to go far to no. hit into any part of Israel, including Jerusalem. Yeah, they're, they're, they're so, they're so, I and mean, here we have an opportunity to be autonomous, an opportunity to make something of your life. They gave them the greenhouses. They could have had a flourishing economy. You know, Kathy, they would rather, and I saw the video, this, is a, this was a, a so-called Palestinian or Hamas promotion video. They would rather take the pipes to use, that, that we were pumping clean water into Gaza, take those pipes and turn them into rockets. They were unburying clean water pipes to make rockets. They hate Israel so much, they would rather make rockets out of, instead of giving water, clean water to their own people. Gary, do, do we see something spiritual here? I mean, I, I, it can't be explained except for this this long-lasting spiritual hatred um, going all the way back to the book of Genesis. That's right. So land for peace doesn't work for Israel because Israel's enemies don't want peace. We, we were talking about there's this um, chant from the river to the sea, mm -hmm. Palestine will be free. It was originally used by the PLO, the Palestine Liberation Organization, under Yasser Arafat, which has now become the Palestinian Authority, which we try to negotiate with as some kind of legitimate yeah. authority so in these lands, right? Mm -hmm. But you know what's interesting, Gary? We, we know this. You know, in the more recent BLM uh, rallies and marches, they have actually been chanting from the river to the sea, yes. Palestine will be free. Yes. So these two are bedfellows, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. BLM is supporting uh, the Palestinian cause in support of this attack against Israel. So once again, whose side are you standing on, folks? People are, it's aligning, Kathy. It's mm -hmm. aligning. And for those, those of you out there who, again, um, maybe there's some who are less informed. But the idea of a black life mattering is one thing, but BLM as an organization, it's it's not the sentiment Black Lives Matter, it's it's an organization, BLM. Right. That is they are they're aligning themselves and supporting Hamas, the same organization that just decapitated babies and killed so many innocent lives. Exactly. You know, in 1967, the PLO, they, they call it the Khartoum Resolution. They, they, they made these, it's called the three no's. The PLO said, no peace with Israel, no recognition of Israel, no negotiations with Israel. And yet the world's like, oh, let's negotiate. Let's have a ceasefire and let's bring people together and see if we can figure this out. The enemies of Israel have no interest. They just told us. Right. How come we don't believe them? Why don't we believe them when they, they, say, they say it very clearly? The Hamas charter, Gary, established in 1988, does not recognize the right of Israel to exist. It says there is no solution to the Palestinian problem except by jihad, holy war, initiatives, proposals, and international conferences are all a waste of time and vain efforts. Yeah. And yet, we keep, we including keep. the U.S., yep. keep trying to do this. The, the definition of insanity. Exactly. Trying doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. You know, Kathy, we were talking about the poor Palestinians, and you mentioned, or at least we, I think we mentioned the, the 1947 war and what happened there for, in 48, I should say. Um, you, the Jewish state, one of the accusations today is that they were, they're accused of creating the world's long, longest standing refugee crisis, that of the so-called Palestinians. 
between 472,000 and 750,000 Arabs fled from Israel before the Arab nation invaded in 1948. Basically, they told their people, get out. We're going to destroy Israel. Get out of the way. And then we'll let you back in once we've destroyed it. Right, right. Well, it didn't work out that way. Mm -hmm. The Arab nations have determined that the Arabs who left Palestine, so-called, and their and their descendants must remain as permanent refugee status until the Palestinian state is created for them. In other words, we're not going to absorb them. You know, all that remember that map you talked about in the beginning? Mm-hmm. All those 22 nations that have all that Arab land, not one of them has tried to absorb these refugees. They purposely keep them in a state of of refugees, you know, refugee status, just to use them as pawns against uh, political pawns against Israel, and they, they, they even um, these people will marry citizens of other nations, and they are still not considered citizens of that nation. Their children are not considered citizens either, and what we have is a generations and generations of people who will never set foot in Israel or Palestine, and they keep calling them mm-hmm. refugees. Right. Right. Palestinian refugees, exactly. exactly. Mm -hmm. Now, ironically, approximately 600,000 Jews left the same Arab land. The same time, they're getting out of the way, 600,000 of them. Also, 850,000 Jews fled persecution and were, or were expelled from Arab and Muslim lands between 1949 and 1954. But you know what? Israel has absorbed all of its refugees. To this day, the Arab nations will not and have not. Now, and, and Israel keeps taking in all of the people who are coming from around the world, making mm-hmm. Aliyah every day, and sometimes in major waves, like we just saw with, with the Ukraine war, what we've seen with Ethiopia, what we've seen, um, well, now so many are coming from Russia, even. But yet they absorb them, one after another. They keep bringing them in because they care about human life. And these, unfortunately, that's not the situation. No, the these people are being used by pawn, as pawns by these uh, Arab nations right. as a, a sore spot, you know, and mm-hmm. blaming Israel for their existence when they could have easily and could still at any time because of their landmass take these people in. Absolutely. You know, even now, as Israel's telling people to get out of Gaza, they're going down to Egypt. Egypt isn't letting them in, doesn't want them to come in. Right. You know? That, that's, that's, that's a great point. That's very current. Right it's now. very current right now. So now we well, let's talk a, a minute about Jerusalem. What is Islam's claim to Jerusalem? Because they keep saying it needs to be an Islamic city huh. and we got to share it. You know, Muhammad never visited Jerusalem. There's no account of Muhammad visiting Jerusalem, except for in some kind of dream. There was some kind of dream where he was on a horse and flew the, the, to Jerusalem. The distant city, they call yeah, it. Yeah, di- it, it wasn't even Jerusalem. It wasn't no, even named. Jerusalem is never named, unless it's in parentheses in an in a English translation, where they put it in translation because they're trying to... Um, they're trying after to perpetuate the fact. after <laughs> the fact. It is never mentioned in the Quran. That's right. Islam came on the scene, now listen to this, folks, 2,600 years after the Jews were founded through Abraham, 2,000 years after Joshua established the nation of Israel, 1,600 years after David made Jerusalem the capital of Israel, 600 years after the birth of Christianity, the Dome of the Rock was not built on the Temple Mount until 687 A.D. And yet, 
Gary, they're claiming that they have some kind of right, uh, equal or greater right, I guess, to the Jewish people, to the Jewish capital of Jerusalem. And this was part of the reason that for all these years, the embassies were not put in right. Jerusalem because of this pressure from the Arab nations. Um, so we kept everybody kept their embassies in Tel Aviv until President Trump moved it. Amen. And Kathy, I just I, I marvel at how powerful the lie can be. I mean, they go to such such lengths. They will say things like, "There's never been a Jewish presence on the Temple Mount." That it's always been in the hands of, of the, the Muslims. I mean, you know, artifact after artifact that is found of, of you know, the time of David and the time of Solomon and the time of all the kings. Uh, they've, you know, the Palestinians have tried to even destroy those artifacts by undermining, digging out uh, more space under the Alaska Mosque and then would just discard those artifacts as trash. I've, I've actually sifted at times through. There's a place you can go in Jerusalem and sift through what the, the, the Arabs call trash is often, there's, there's often found um, artifacts. Jewish artifacts. Jewish artifacts. And right. proving the existence of that the Jewish That the Jews nation. were always there. They, they were always there. And, right. But the lie, the power of it's the lie. It's very powerful. Tell, if it's li a lie is what shouted loud enough and often enough. Uh, it's you so know, true. It's very, it's it's so very true. effective. And, and the world buys into it. And guys, our, our, our media has been so complicit in that, repeating, just repeating the lie over and over and over again. So let's look at what the Bible says about the land. I mean, really, when it comes down to it, and I mentioned this in the beginning, when someone asks you, who does the land belong to? Mm -hmm. And then there's this, then, then the fight begins. The Palestinian people, the Arab people, or the Jewish people. You know what? In reality, <laughs> that land belongs to God. Yehovah, the creator of the universe. And he said in Leviticus 25, 23, the land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine and you are but aliens, and my tenants, my tenants, he bequeathed it to the Jewish people to care for. Just as he, he put Adam and Eve in the garden and said, care for it, he put them in this land to, to, uh, to have them uh, thrive and to represent him. The Bible establishes in Genesis that the land of Canaan, um, now known as Israel, was given by God to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name became Israel. In Genesis 17, verse 8, God says, I will give to you, speaking to Abraham, and to your descendants after you, the land of your sojourning, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be there, I will be their God. Did you notice it said everlasting, Kathy? And it said all. And it said all, <laughs> all the land. And and that word in the Hebrew, I've looked it up. Everlasting means everlasting, everlasting eternal, forever, forever. Right. And to Jacob in, in Genesis 35, 10, 12, God said, your name is Jacob. You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. The land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I give to you. And I will give the land to your descendants after you. It's so clear through the scripture. And again, once again, this is why uh, we have to have this 
false document called the Quran to try to, to say that there was some revelation that made this untrue. Well, if that makes this untrue, then God's a liar. Right. Yeah. And and Gary, so for those who believe the Bible, who believe the God of Israel or follow the God of Israel, there should be no way that you can be standing on any side except for this side of Israel as, go, as far as the land goes. Amen. This is unequivocal what God has done here. And you may not agree with it. You may not think that was a good idea. So what? This is what <laughs> happened. You know, and, and I, I, I wanted us to, you know, the land was given to Abraham. So a lot of times uh, the Arabs will, will, will claim and the Muslims will compl- uh, claim, well, Abraham is our father too. That's exactly right. That is true. But then the promise of the land went not just to Abraham, but it went then to Isaac and then to Jacob. Right. And it's important. You're making a great point here, Kathy. God made that promise, but also that, and you made the point earlier, Islam did not exist. No, Islam as a religion did did not not exist exist. until the 7th century AD. Yes. These Arabic as an ethnic group did, okay? They were not given the land either. That's just all there is to it. It doesn't matter if we like that idea or not. Take it up with God later. But this is what it is. So people of the Bible, there's no reason, there's no excuse uh, for you not to be standing on the side of Israel. There's just none. That's right. So we started, and I was talking about being a Zionist. So the question is, is God a Zionist? Absolutely. Absolutely. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Uh, Zechariah 2.8, he who touches you, which is Israel, touches the apple of God's eye. He that keeps Israel will not slumber or sleep. Listen to, that's Psalm 121.4. Zechariah 8.2, God says, I am exceedingly zealous. Some of your Bibles say jealous Mm -hmm. over Zion. Yes, with great wrath, I am zealous for her. That's not just a, oh, I have kind of a preference for, you know, Israel Mm -hmm. and the land. That's not just like a little preference, okay? Sounds like Zionism to me. It sounds like Zionism. Joel 3.2 says, I, God, will gather all the nations and bring them into the valley of Jehoshaphat, which means judgment. Mm -hmm. There I will enter into judgment against them concerning my inheritance, my people Israel. For they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. Wow. Two points that I want to make at that. Beautiful. I'm so glad you chose that passage because one, it even speaks of the peace process, dividing up my land. You know, no way. God is No saying, land for no, peace deal, no, folks. Sorry, it's not, it's not of God. And two, it talks about judgment. Now, I, I fully believe that Joel chapter 3, verse 2, is the context for Matthew 25, starting in verse 31 through the end of the chapter, where what we do to the least of Yeshua's brethren, we do unto him. Uh, this is the context, because there's a judgment. That's the sheep and the goats, right? The sheep right? and the goat. The sheep right. and the goat nations. Nations. So this is all about God dividing and separating who are those who are going to love his people and who are those who are not going to love his people or in this case hate his people mm-hmm. and there's a there's a psalm and I, you know cuz you know we talk we've done an entire podcast about God separating remember that yep there's a psalm that talks about God identifying his enemies psalm 110 
says, and this is Yehovah, the Lord, Yehovah said to my Lord, Adon is the Hebrew, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. So God is saying here, okay, there's going to be an identification of your enemies, speaking to Yeshua, who will, the Messiah, who will return. There is going to be a, 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 a they're going to have, you're going to have to take a side. Right. And I believe God is in the process of identifying his enemies right now. And he's also identifying those who will stand with him and his people. It's a separation that's it's happening. Separation. It's those sheep and the goats as in as far as nations and as far as people. Absolutely. I think it, 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 it regarding it's regarding on that on that level of nation states and it's on the level of individuals. I totally agree with you. And I think what I want, I want to share something that God says through the prophet Jeremiah in, in Jeremiah uh, 51. But first, Jeremiah quotes this Psalm 135. He says, For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself. Now, we've just spoke about that. Right. Israel for his special treasure. For I know that the Lord is great and the Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. This is, again, we said he chooses. And we need to understand that. In heaven and earth, in the seas and in the deep places, he causes the vapors to ascend and the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for rain and he brings wind out of his treasuries. In other words, God is the creator of the universe. He's the creator of this earth and he can do what he pleases and he will and he does. Right now he has chosen Israel. So it's Jeremiah chapter 51 quotes that very the same song and he talks about the vapors ascending and, and, and descending from his treasuries in verse 16 I'm going to continue in, in Jeremiah 51 he talks about his portion Jacob verse 19 so again he's talking about him choosing Jacob for a purpose now I want you to be very, very, listen carefully and listen to what God is saying that purpose of Jacob, Israel, is. The portion of Jacob is not like them, for he is the maker of all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. You are my battle axe and weapons of war, speaking of Jacob, Israel. For with you... I will break up the nation in pieces. With you, I will destroy kingdoms. With you, I will break in pieces the horse and its rider. With you, I will break in pieces the chariot and its rider. With you, I will also break in pieces man and woman. With you, I will break in pieces old and young. With you, I will break in pieces the young man and the maiden. With you also, I will break in pieces the shepherd and his flock, pastors, with you, I will break in pieces the farm and the yoke oxen. With you, I will break in pieces governors and rulers, president, Congress. We need to make a choice. All peoples need to make a choice. Every nation needs to make a choice. Who will you serve? Who will you support? As for Kathy and I, I know, and, and many of you, I hope, stand with Israel. Because that's what God is looking for. Can I, um, when it talks about break in pieces, that idea is 
something that may have been together at one time is now broken apart. Mm. And the reason it's broken apart is because of Israel. Right. Okay. That's God's purpose. So when we're talking about breaking apart, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm destroying it. It means I'm breaking it apart, right? So that shepherds from their sheep and this man from this woman and so forth, it's I, that separating I, that's I occurring. Agree. This, this, this issue is so, I mean, think about it. You ask somebody about Belgium or France or whatever. Right. Most people don't really have much of an opinion. Right. You ask about Israel, everyone's got an opinion. Right. And this will separate families. This will separate congregations. It will separate nations. It's separating today. I, I believe what's happening is this has this in part is going on with the judgment. Just as Joshua was used to judge Canaan, the land of Canaan, and with his armies, I believe Hamas is being judged by the IDF. God is using the IDF today to bring judgment on Hamas. Yes. Yes. Because he said he's going to, he's going to use Israel for yes. his purposes. Yes. To, to Yes. So I'm going to try to bring this to a conclusion because Gary and I could be talking about this all day, <laughs> right? Israel and the Jewish people remind the world that there's a God, the God of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And if there's a God of the Bible, the Bible also makes it plain that he also gave us clear code of conduct about how we're to interact with each other and with him. That's his Torah. Amen. This means I need to obey him. I can't do whatever's right in my own eyes. This is not a message that the world wants to hear. We started this podcast talking about new beginnings. Is it possible that God is mercifully giving us a fresh start? He's allowing us the opportunity to choose who we're going to serve wholeheartedly. Are we going to prioritize that which he prioritizes or just keep going our own way? Israel is always at the center of God's plans and God's heart. Is Israel at the center of your heart? There is no more time for equivocation. I think this war is showing us that there's no more time we're picking a side. I'm not going to promise that taking a definitive stand with Israel will be easy. In fact, it'll probably be the hardest thing to do. There will be people in your life who disagree with you. There will be people in the church who disagree with you. Many will try to instill fear in you. Choosing to stand with Israel is a controversial decision, and it comes with risk. But remember the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who lost his life in service of the Jews of Nazi Germany. He castigated the church, saying, cheap grace is the deadly enemy of the church. Bonhoeffer saw cheap grace as grace without price, grace without cost. Bonhoeffer believed that when Christians adopt cheap grace, thinking they've snagged quite a bargain, in reality, they have cheated themselves out of the true meaning and the purpose of following Christ. Listen to what Bonhoeffer said when he talks about cheap grace. Having laid hold of cheap grace, they're barred forever from the knowledge of costly grace. Deceived and weakened, men felt that they were strong now that they are in possession of this cheap grace, whereas they had in fact lost the power to live the life of discipleship and obedience. Folks, I'm asking you to pick up the cross of 
costly grace. The costly grace that Yeshua demonstrated when he laid down his life for us. He expects nothing less of us in defense of his people and his land. Shalom, everyone. Shalom. Thank you for listening. Please join us next time on Torah Talk.